now that we've been talking for 11 hours hi um hello for the very first time for the very first time we just picked up the phone ring ring hi podcasting magic yep wow it's the magic of the i want to say casting pods but that's just awful it's not funny for anybody it's just a bummer anyway um (laughs) We're back from our accidental surprise hiatus. Great. It was great. Um, yeah. We got to be people for a little while. And did you see? Can we talk about the new CDC guideline? Woo! It almost made me cry. How weird it's, is that? It's so. So yeah. we're still gonna wear masks, you know, in like restaurants and places that have mask mandates, obviously. Yeah. Um, but when we took the dog out for her walk before this, leaving our apartment building, we didn't wear a mask. And it was like. Did you feel naked? Did you feel like you forgot I felt, your pants? Like, I, I felt like I needed to apologize to every person yeah. that walked past me. I felt like I needed to be like, don't worry, I'm vaccinated. Like, I'm, I'm just yeah. doing what the CDC said. Like, please don't hate me. I'm just doing what they said, you know? Yeah. And we both have pins that say vaccinated. And so I was like, oh, we just shit. Need, I want one. We need to start wearing those just 100% <laughs> of the time on whatever outfit we wear, like got your vaccinated pin. So yeah, we, we took the dog out with no masks and uh, it felt really odd. It felt really, it never felt normal the whole time, but yeah. it was also kind of thrilling. It was, it was very strange. I did that at work the other day. I was, Evan and I were meeting in the lobby of work. And I'm on the 11th floor, so we, you have to take the elevator, right? Ooh. And, like, I, like, got in the elevator, made it, like, halfway down the ride before I was, like, why do I feel weird? And I was, like, oh, my God, I forgot my mask. And I, like, got out of the elevator and, like, just, like, everybody I passed, I felt like I needed to be, like, I, it's, it's fine. Like, just don't don't come near me. I'm yeah. fine. I'm fine. I promise. It was just so weird. I felt like I was doing something illegal. Yeah. It, it Yes, it feels illegal. It feels wrong it's going to be mm-hmm. an interesting road back mm-hmm. normal. yeah that new cdc guideline though evan read it to me this morning and it like it almost made me cry because right. it was just it's just because it's happening it's the thing that we've been talking about how great would this be for it to happen for well over a year mm-hmm. well over a year we've been waiting for that exact thing and like who yeah man. it's crazy um so yeah congratulations world and if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet go get them if you can if they are available to you easily if they're available to you please do it go get them it's great it's It's so great great. the peace of mind is huge i don't have extreme anxiety going to the grocery store anymore Mm -hmm. Mm, it's great it's really great So, yeah, that was a very exciting and weird part of my day today. Yeah. Congratulations to both of us. To everyone. (laughs) To everyone who's vaccinated. Congratulations. Congratulations. We've made it. We've, man. But, like, honestly, we made it. Like, that's huge. Yeah, no, that wasn't facetious. That was, like, we made it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kept my little vaccinated sticker that they gave me because they, like, wrote the date on it. And so I like stuck it on my computer. Like, this is, this was it. This is it. Oh, yeah. Very exciting. 
Um, I feel like we've been talking for a really long time, but we're only nine minutes into the recording. That's because we talked <laughs> for a really long time. for a really long time before this. Um, I don't know. What are you watching? I'm not trying to rush us. About just what are you? What's new with you? Um, How's well, that lining kugel treating you? Oh, I first of all, oh, I guess the label we is like right in front of you. Good work, everybody. World's best cup of coffee. <laughs> That's no gonna be the name of this episode. We did it. That's gonna be world's the best cup of coffee. Is this the name of this episode? So, Trevor was saying that my first TikTok that I make should be me at a bar going. I'm in a bar, and I'm oh drinking. I'm in a bar, and I'm drinking. Yes, absolutely. Um, we finished Schitt's Creek, which you and I personally have talked about, but has not come up on the podcast. I think, in fact, in the time of our hiatus, we started and finished Schitt's Creek. You did. Um, and it was extremely delightful. So delightful. We've started referring Um, to it as like, so Trevor and I are Schitt's Creek six. Because we're going to be starting our sixth watch of it. Oh, okay. Um, so that way people can tell each other how many times they've how watched many it times. through. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Um, yeah, I don't know. We're rewatching The Good Place because we finished Schitt's Creek and wanted another wholesome show. And nice. It's very wholesome. Man. We watched the Sons of Sam documentary a few days ago. Mm. Woof. I bet. It's so good. It's so much, but it's so good. And then yesterday we watched, I think it's called Fear in New York City. It's a documentary about... Fear City. Fear City, excuse me. New York versus the Mafia. New York versus the Mafia. (laughs) Excuse me. But yeah, it's basically like how they took down the mafia in the 70s wow and i was like wait a minute and both stories happened at the same time so new york, new york in the, in the 70s, 70s is was a nightmare town a nightmare town i mean yeah. la too any big city in the 70s was a nightmare yeah but um yeah, very fascinating stuff dang okay those are two really good recommendations because i've blown through so many of my documentaries so many of my documentary backlogs, because when I can't sleep, which is like often, very often, um, I'll like wake up at like three in the morning and try and go back to sleep and then eventually give up. And I go out into the living room and I watch a documentary <laughs> and I have blown through my yeah. backlog of them. So I have a few more than I want to watch, but there's some there's some good ones. Got to watch that Heaven's Gate one on HBO. I do. I really want to watch it. Mm. Yes. That was it's on my so list good. for sure. Um we were discussing today, I was like, man, it's really lucky that you also like documentaries because this could have easily been a relationship where I'm like, I love true crime documentaries. And my partner's like, ugh. but thankfully he's like, yeah, let's yes. Yeah. Evan. Yes. And so that's doesn't nice. Evan doesn't get it. <laughs> he he'll like, he'll like watch 
he'll like come in and sit down as I'm watching a documentary. But if we're trying to pick something to watch, never. It's mm-hmm. never a documentary. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you drinking? I am drinking a oh. Coog. A Linen Coog. I have me some extremely fancy, very rare vintage Trader Joe's boxed wine. Oh, look at you go. Dang, I wish I had wine. It's a good time. It's a great time. There, um, I've started drinking a lot less, um, but there's still certain days where I'm like, man, I could super go for a glass of wine. And it's usually when I'm watching someone drink wine on TV. And I'm like, that does sound nice. That's, seriously, that's the only time that I ever think that wine sounds nice is if I see somebody else drinking it. And then I'm like, hmm. Like, I could drink hmm. it any day. Don't get me wrong. But the only time that I'm like, oh, like, like almost like a craving, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is when I'm watching someone else drinking it. Game of Thrones really got me. Oh, they drink so much wine in Game of Thrones. Always. Yeah. And I was like, that is a great idea. (laughs) Hold, please. Um, yeah, dang, maybe I should, we're going to go camping this weekend. Congratulations. First, First camping trip of the season. So we're going to um, Portage. Nice. Camp. I've never camped out there. Um, so I'm pretty excited. It all started because Lizzie said that she wanted to get Whittier fish and chips. So we were like, well, we should just make a whole day of it. <laughs> so Make a day of it. Or two days, I guess. We're going to be out there. But um, anyway, bagged wine camping is mm-hmm. best wine. Mm-hmm. So that all started from... Maybe I'll get some wine. Nice. Trevor's going camping next weekend with his buddies from work. <laughs> he was like, do you want to go? And I was like, are there any other women going? <laughs> and he was like, this person's partner might go. And I was like, I'm going to pass. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. But no. No, no. No, thanks. No, I'm going to stay here hang out with women yeah so speaking of women welcome to babe town no son of a yeah (laughs) i saw my chance you did i took it and i didn't even see it coming i missed it we're out of practice we're it's gonna Um, be uh when was your specific uh babe this week born shit you beat me to it um my babe was born July 10th, 1875. You're going first, my dude. Cool. I kind of thought that I was. It's not terribly off. It's like, it's not super close, but it's it's not. Yeah. That one's kind of, that one's kind of borderline. Yeah. Um, also, it's earlier than I remembered it being, so <laughs> a shock to us all. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, Reagan, get cozy. Um, great. Get your wine. This lady is the coolest. Okay. Um, Reagan, have you ever heard of Mary McLeod Bethune? How do you spell McLeod? Not like McLeod. McLeod. McLeod? So my family is the McLeod clan, and my grandmother's name is Mary McLeod. Carry on. Weird. Oh, my God. Hold fast, everybody. I don't think this is your grandma. 
Um, I I would be blown away if it was. But it would be very, very cool if it was your grandma. It would be and very cool. I would be upset with you that you had never told me about your grandma. I so. would have not known either. So, um, okay, cool. So she is born July 10th, 1875 in Maysville, South Carolina. She has 16 siblings. <sighs> oh, her poor mother. Um, she is number 15 too. So she's like oh little baby of the family. Um, both of her parents were former slaves. After the civil war, her mom continues to work for her former owner, which like, oh my goodness. That so hard. Thank wow. You. Um, so she ends up using the wages that she gets from that to save up, to buy the land that the family is growing cotton on. So she ends up like, buying it which is pretty cool um so by the time mary is born that's already happened um so mary grew up picking cotton on the farm and by nine she was picking 250 pounds a day no i didn't even know that that i don't know what that yeah i don't i can't comprehend that i didn't know that that was possible like it's she's nine nine a day 250 pounds a day yikes um so when Mary was a kid, she would go with her mom and deliver the wash that her mom was doing for white people. So on one of those trips, Mary goes into the nursery of some white kids and she picks up a book and the fucking kids come in and like pull it out of her hands and tell her that it doesn't matter anyway because she can't read. What the it's, fucking little yeah. shit heads. Oh. But they're just saying what their parents. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so that interaction made Mary be like, you know what, <laughs> this is going to be my whole life's work. So she, um, goes to the one person black schoolhouse, Trinity mission school. She was the only person in her family to attend school. So she would come home every day and she would teach her family what she had learned. <sighs> I know. Doesn't that make you want to cry? So many oh. things in this are going to make you want to cry just the sweetest this lady is like truly genuinely like we say this a lot but she is like genuinely a sweet angel that wow. is just wandering around helping folks out that's nice because mine is the opposite <laughs> <laughs> great excellent <laughs> um so in 1894 she graduates from scotia cemetery seminary not cemetery seminary a boarding school in North Carolina. It had cropped up after the war in an effort to educate black people and former slaves, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. um, so after this, she then attends Dwight L. Moody's Institute for Home and Foreign Missions in Chicago. It's now called the Mooney Bible Institute. Yes. Yeah, um, and that's, that's where she quote, developed her philosophy of female uplift and her passion for educating girls for leadership in their communities. Amazing. Mm. So she wants to become a missionary, but then she is told that black missionaries weren't needed, which like infuriates me on so many different levels, because that means that you are not, you are not doing what missionaries are saying their whole purpose is, you know? Right. And also like, I've been reading a lot recently about how like what we view as modern western missionary work is actually more harmful to a lot of communities oh, than yeah. good 
And so, oh, like, yes. I have no idea what it would be in the late 1800s, early 1900s. No right. clue. Who knows? Yeah. It was probably incredibly different. But, like, that even more so puts the effect on, like, to be seen doing what you're doing. Exactly. Rather That's exactly... than doing right. what you're doing to help right. out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so after this, she's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go and become a teacher. That's what she'd already been doing. So she goes and becomes a teacher. She taught at the Haynes Institute in Georgia. Then she moves to the Kendall Institute in South Carolina. That's where she meets her husband, Albertus Bethune. Um, medium eyes, medium eyes <laughs> leaning towards bad eyes. Um, bad eyes. Bad eyes, the opposite <laughs> of hard eyes. <laughs> um, so her ultimate goal was to start her own school. I literally, that's funny that we just said this because I literally in parentheses wrote, OMG, such hard eyes. So, um, but yeah, I mean hard eyes. So she heads to Florida. So her first stop is in Palatka, Florida, and she opens a missionary school. And then after that, she goes to Daytona Beach. So by the time she gets to Daytona Beach, she's got her husband, Albertus, and then they've got a little baby named Albert. Um, and they're, the names are very similar, but Albert is the little one. Okay. Um, they have no assets really to speak of. So she is like, okay, well, that just means that we need to start asking for help. And so she goes about building a schoolhouse. She starts like community organizing to get funding. She got both the black and white communities on board and willing to help. Um, awesome. So she starts the Daytona Normal and Industrial Institute for Negro Girls, like specifically for the goal of like educating women which is Good. so cool. Um, also, Black yeah, fun fact, this is 1904. Wow. Like, so early. Um, so the school starts with only five girls plus her son, Albert, which is a hilarious image to me. <laughs> I just imagine her being like, listen, man, it's a school, but, like, you're the only boy here. And him just probably being like, cool. Okay, Mom. Cool, great. Um so eventually she grew it into a high school. So it's like this full-fledged high school. 1907, her husband, Albertus, abandons her and Albert. <clears throat> Bad eyes. Um, they never divorced, but in the 1910 census, she listed herself as a widow, even though he was still very much alive. <laughs> you know, She's just I like, he is dead to me, so he's dead yeah, to everybody. So he's Thank dead you to very everybody. much. Thank you, goodbye. Um, 1911, and as far as I can tell, she never married again. So she was married for a real hot second and then was like, fuck it. I guess I'm on my own, which is great. So um, 1911, she goes to visit one of her students who had acute appendicitis, but there wasn't a hospital in Daytona Beach that would treat black people. With acute appendicitis. In the entire city? In the entire city. I think that I think it's that the nearest one was like something. Um, so wow. So Mary is like, all right, cool, I'll make one. So she goes about making a hospital. Um, it started with two beds. Soon it was 20 beds. It wasn't until 1931. So this is 1911. So 20 years later, that the main hospital agreed to open a separate hospital for people of color. 
And it wasn't until the 60s that the main location became integrated. Wow. So 1920, after women gained the right to vote, Mary was a, a loud and vocal supporter of women's suffrage. So after women gained the right to vote, Mary led voter registration drives around Daytona Beach. Yeah, she did. Mm. Mm. I love her. Just every single, there are so many things that I'm leaving out too. It's like, she never stopped. Like, I don't know when she slept. It, yeah, it's incredible. So many of these women are like, they, it, yeah, it constantly moving and working and doing things Constant. that all pour back into and benefit their communities. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, so 1923, she nego negotiates a merger of her school with the Cookman Institute in Jacksonville. So... Thus is born the Bethune-Cookman College, or the BCC, um, which is still a university today. Amazing. Spoiler alert. Um, a historic black university. Spoiler alert. Um, so as all of this is going on, like she's doing all of these things, but then also she's becoming more and more recognizable. She's becoming more and more of an advocate with, of education within the black communities. So she works with the Florida Federation of Colored Women's different clubs to help find homes for quote unquote delinquent black girls in Ocala, Florida. She was president of the Southeastern Federation of Colored Women's Clubs from 1920 to 1925. She was the president of the National Association of Teachers in Colored Schools from 23 to 24. She was the president of the National Association of Colored Women from 24 to 28. That's great because like it's not just like these are titles and you move on. Like there's work. Yeah. There's a lot of work involved a lot of in all work. of those things. Yeah. So like so much work and so oh much. My God. All of those things are not, it's not community organizing in the like, let's have potlucks. It's like mm -hmm. doing like, like racial equality work, like hard. Oh my God. Like, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. How many things she was doing all at the same time. Yeah. Ugh. Um. So 1935, she found, she's also a single mother. Yeah, during I, that whole thing of like a teenager. Wow. Um, so 1935, she founds the National Council of Negro Women, and that same year, she's awarded the Spring Arn Medal by the NAACP. So all of that, all of that that I just listed, she is also the president of the college that she founded, the BCC. Um, so she stays president of the BCC until 1942. During her tenure, the college was awarded full accreditation and enrollment reached a thousand students. Wow. Also, can you hear these dogs outside yes. fucking going crazy? I was gonna ask if they're a very, very <laughs> upset dog. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. All of our neighbors have dogs and it's excellent, but our house also is very warm because it's Alaska, so there's no air conditioning, so the window has to be open, otherwise I will die. No, but fine. they are. I just thought it was very funny. Plenty vocal today. Um, bork, bork. Okay, so, so obviously she's working crazy hours, hours so yeah. hard. She's doing, and she's doing all of it in like a, like building her platform kind of way, you know, and like oh. getting the message out there and like educating people. Um, and so obviously she gains national attention, um, both education, related national attention and race relations 
related because so it was all intertwined for her. Right. Um, so in 1930, President Hoover invites her to attend a White House conference, and she sees this as her chance. So she's like, I'm going to get a national stage. So she's like, this is when I'm going to speak for people that I've been advocating for on a huge scale. Mm-hmm. So um, after that conference, she's considered a leading advocate for black people in the U.S. Like that's kind of what solidifies her as this like this like I mean, it's before the civil rights movement. <laughs> like yeah. she's so ahead of her time. So, um, so flashback. So that's 1931. Um, she's in that same year, she's listed as one of the 10 most outstanding living, living American women. And she's like constantly using her platform to champion racial and gender inclusion, an angel. So 1927, she's introduced to the Roosevelt's and she becomes super close friends with Eleanor Roosevelt. So, um, as a result of this, when she when when Roosevelt is like running for election, she is like out there campaigning for him. Um, so in 1936, President Roosevelt invites her to join the National Youth Administration. And by 1939, she's the director of Negro Affairs. Wow. Um, this made her the highest paid black person, man or woman in government at the time. Wow. Amazing. So during her tenure here, quote, The NYA employed hundreds of thousands of young African-American men and women and established a Negro college and graduate fund that supported over 4,000 students in higher education. A hero. Uh Um, So 1936, she establishes and names the informal black cabinet. It's what she called Roosevelt's advisors who were working specifically on race issues. So they we're advising him on things like lynching legislation, which like, what a fucking nightmare. Oh what a nightmare oh that that even is a sentence <laughs> is a sentence. Um, another nightmare sentence. She worked on poll taxing in the South because that used to be a thing. Um, I mean, used to. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, She worked on welfare issues, creating jobs, working hand in hand, creating jobs with the New Deal agency for unemployed black people. So, I mean, like advocating in an insane way. So she also worked to help draft the executive orders that ended the exclusion of black people in the army. Um, And this is like on the eve of World War Two. And she is still having to argue that like it's. It's the same thing that we run into with like the SOE not wanting women at first. It's like, yes. why not? If you why have not? people what that is are your argument against it. Yes. If you have people that are capable and willing and right. want to go do that, then why the fuck do we have the draft? Right. Why is, why are we drafting people who do not want that when you have whole demographics that you just are excluding for no reason at all. For no reason. Crazy. Um, I got lost because I was ranting. Let's see. Um, The Black Cabinet basically laid a lot of political groundwork for the issues and the legislation that would then blossom into the civil rights movement. So it kind of like all fed from things that the Black Cabinet was doing. Um, So obviously this is all leading to her becoming an early, early, early national figure in the upcoming civil rights movement. 1939, she writes, quote, not only the Negro child, but children of all races should read and know of the achievements, accomplishments, and deeds of the Negro. 
World peace and brotherhood are based on a common understanding of the contributions and cultures of all races and creeds. Yep. Yup. Yup. It's exactly. Yup. So in 1941, she gives a speech advocating for equal rights in the defense and military industry. And this is like right before World War II. And she's still having to. So she says, quote, despite the attitude of some employers in refusing to hire Negroes to perform needed skilled services, and despite the denial of the same opportunities and courtesies to our youth in the armed forces of our country, we must not fail America. And as Americans, we must not let America fail us. Every single person should hear that sentence. <laughs> like, it's, oh my God. Um, so she would open the school in Daytona Beach because she was still, <laughs> she's doing all of this nationally and she still has a hand in her school in Daytona Beach because that's what she was doing first. Um, so she would open the school for tourists on Sundays and would lead, she made them be integrated tours. Um, and she would just show off the students' accomplishments and she would host national speakers about the civil rights movement. She like forced the community to be like, look, look, when you educate people, then they become valuable parts of your community and they are parts of your community. Like, like we can't have a white community and a black community. Like it's just, we need, it's, it's all, we it's are the a same, we're yeah. all the it same. It benefits everyone. Yeah. Yeah. For, She's a hero. Um, so she defended the decision in on that one of one of the students um, that was going to the school in Daytona Beach talked about the tours that she would give. And they talk about how she would like host these national speakers in the auditorium. And um, it was so full that they were like, yeah, I mean, even if white people were uncomfortable sitting next to black people, they didn't have a choice because there were no separate sections. So people were just sitting wherever there was a seat. So nice. she was kind of like forcing people Good. to integrate. Yeah. I mean, God, it's mm. so um, she defends the decision in Brown versus the Board of Education, which said that segregation of schools was unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. um, she defends it in the Chicago Defender, which shout out. We've talked about them. Hell yeah, um, Chicago Defender. She writes, quote, there can be no divided democracy, no class government, no half free country under the Constitution. Therefore, there can be no discrimination, no segregation, no separation of some citizens from the rights which belong to all. We are on our way, but these are frontiers which we must conquer. We must gain full equality in education, in the franchise, in economic opportunity and full equality in the abundance of life. God, she's such a good writer. Um, so we're wrapping up, kind of. There's still a lot. But May 18th, 1955, she dies of a heart attack. And she was almost immediately lauded and paid tribute in newspapers around the country, specifically black newspapers, but national newspapers like the New York Times and the Washington Post all yeah. had things to say. Um, and there is... I just took a screenshot of it because Wikipedia like kind of compiled it all into one. I want to read it. Hang on. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't. You never apologize. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so the Pittsburgh Courier wrote, quote, in any race or nation, she would have been an outstanding personality and made a noteworthy contribution because her chief attribute was her indomitable soul. Um, the New York Times said, quote, she was one of the most potent factors in the growth of interracial goodwill in America. And her hometown newspaper, the Daytona Beach Evening News, printed, quote, to some, she seemed unreal, something that could not be. What right had she to greatness? The lesson of Mrs. Bethune's life is that genius knows no racial barriers. Correct. Correct. Um, let me pull this back up. Um, okay, so, so now let's cover what all happened post her death. So ultimately, she was an advisor for five different presidents. 1973, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1974 on what would have been her 99th birthday. The Mary McLeod Bethune Memorial was erected in Lincoln Park, D.C. It was the first monument honoring a woman, a black person, or a black woman in D.C. Damn. Um, 1994, the National Park Service acquired her last house, and now it is an NPS historic spot, so you can go. Um, there are schools around the country named for her, like, like a list of schools that was like a couple inches thick was just wow. named for her. Um, 2004, the Bethune Cookman University celebrated its 100th anniversary. It's very cute. Um, Mary Bethune used every possible moment of her platform to be a voice for those who didn't have the same chance. And her last will and testament was no different. So in her last note, um, a little passage from her last will and testament, she says, quote, I leave you to love. I leave you to hope. I leave you the challenge of developing confidence in one another. I leave you a thirst for education. I leave you a respect for the use of power. I leave you faith. I leave you racial dignity. I leave you a desire to live harmoniously with your fellow man. I leave you a responsibility to our young people. Oh my God. And that is true. Angel and hero, Mary McLeod Bethune. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Do you want to hear another passage from her last film and testament? Yes, because that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I know, I know. Um, so another little part of it, quote, I leave you hope. The Negro's growth will be great in the years to come. Yesterday, our ancestors endured the degradation of slavery, yet they retained their dignity. Today, we direct our strength toward winning a more abundant and secure life. Tomorrow, a new Negro, unhindered by race taboos and shackles, will benefit from more than 330 years of ceaseless struggle. Theirs will be a better world. This I believe with all my heart. That dog Amazing. gets it. Oh my God, that stupid dog. That dog gets it real good. He gets it. Or maybe she, that was sexist of me. Um, yeah, that's wow. Mary McLeod Bethune. And the photos of this woman, you are going to be 100% obsessed with this woman. Like, yes. she's, she's just, I'm just, uh, I just love her. Um, okay, so to source my various shit, um, womenshistory.org is great wikipedia obviously um the bethune cookman university has a whole page on her and the history of the college um the national park service has a great article about her on their page um britannica and then a really 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 excellent article was written by 
oh, there's not a byline. Just kidding. It's on the World War II National Museum webpage. Mm-hmm. And it's just called The Extraordinary Life of Mary McLeod Bethune. Wow. Yeah. So that's my babe. And that's, that's that incredible. dog. And that is that dog. That is that dog. That dog oh. has some feelings. Do you know what's going to be really funny, though, is that um, if we don't reference that we're doing two in a row, people are just going to think that that dog has been going nuts for like a week. True. True. Which might be all the more reason not to reference. Yeah. Who knows? Wow. Good job, dude. Whew. That's amazing. Thanks. 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 Um, sit back and relax, you know? Mm-hmm. Have a, have a chill pill. Okay. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I will. Um, Taylor. Let's see if I can. I'm going to pronounce her name incorrectly, and I apologize. I've been practicing, but I don't think I'm going to get it correctly. Okay. Um, have you ever heard of Maria Okciabruskaya? Ooh. Wait. Wait, is this the Russian sniper? No. That's oh. Li- that's Ludmila Pavlichenko, but I, I did. No, no, no. There's another one. There's okay. another one that Evan has sent me like three times, and he's like, "Have you covered this baby?" Okay, well, no, Ludmila Pavlichenko dibs, dibs, dibs. Because she's. I thought we already did her, because she was part no. of the Night Witches, right? No. Oh. Different, different woman. Okay, maybe I'm mixed up then. Maybe we haven't. So you can have dibs. Either way, no, I have not heard of this lady. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. Okay. So. Maria, I, I, I'm imagining that's how it's pronounced, was born August 16th, 1905, to a poor Ukrainian family on the Crimean Pennsylvania. Yeah, keep that shit in. Don't <laughs> oh, delete it. The famous border between Crimea and Pennsylvania. Peninsula. No. <laughs> okay. Whatever. Um, she was one of 10 kids. She worked wow, in cannery, and then later she worked as a telephone operator, and that is everything that I know about her early life. Great. And she's one of those people that, like, every article has essentially the same information. Yep. With, like, maybe a detail is different here or there. Yep. Also, this those articles great. are always funny to me because I'm always like, where did you get this random, intriguing detail that I haven't seen anywhere else? Right. Right. But I'm definitely going to include. That I'm absolutely going to include, (laughs) yes. So she married an army officer named Ilya in 1925. Hard eyes. Oh, good. Okay. And after she marries him, she developed an interest in military affairs. She became part of the Military Wives Council. She trained as a nurse, and she learned how to use weapons and drive vehicles, which was very, very unusual. Yeah. (sighs) Um, I already love her. Yeah, she's, wow. Um, unfortunately, in 1941, Ilya died in Kiev fighting the Germans on the Eastern Front. And she had been evacuated to Siberia, so it took her two years to find out that he had died. Oh. Uh, I can't, yeah. Oh, God, that's awful. So eventually, the news of his death reaches her. She's completely devastated and then just filled with revenge. Just Mm. she will avenge his death. Okay. So first she applies 
Yeah, she applies to the army. She's turned down because she had previously had tuberculosis at some point. And she was 36 years old, which I guess was quote unquote old. Disqualified. Yeah. They never said anything about her being a woman. They were just like, nope, you're extremely old at 36 years. and Too much. Yeah, who knows? Okay. So obviously the natural option number two appears to her. And she sells all of her belongings and donates it to the construction of a T-34 tank. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I didn't know that was an option. Right. You can just donate things and be you like, could. please build me a tank. You could. Well, it wasn't It wasn't supposed to be for her, but she wrote a letter to Joseph Stalin. It wasn't supposed to be for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's supposed to just, like, donate, you know, whatever. And a lot of people, like, the wealthy would donate and be like, you know, this is for a tank, whatever. So she sells everything she owns, property, everything, donates it, and then wrote to Joseph Stalin and was like, hey, um, here's the thing. I super want revenge. So I'm donating this on one condition. That she gets tank privileges? Kind of. <laughs> Hey, Joey Stalin, I would love to roll around in a tank. Yeah. She's like, I'll give you all this money to build a brand new tank if I can drive it. Oh, my goodness. She's like, listen, man, I already drove a truck. Right. I know how to use weapons. Definitely do a tank. Yeah. So Joseph Stalin, much like the Night Witches, was like, well, we need all the bodies we can get, and this will be great publicity. So he's like, you know what? Deal. So they thought that they could run this whole story of like morning wife decides to fight to avenge her husband and the motherland. Right. So most tank drivers at the time got very minimal training. They were just like, here, go to the front. Good luck. But they kept her back and they trained her for five to six months, depending on what source you look at, because they were like, look, if we're going to send her out here, we need her to be effective. So they made sure she knew what she was doing. And then her time came. So 1943, Maria and her tank, which she named the Fighting Girlfriend. Oh, my God. Yes. They joined the 16th Guards Tank Brigade. And all of the men saw her as a joke. And a publicity stunt. They were like, we're going to have to cover her ass. The whole thing. She may have started that way, but it did not last. So... (laughs) October 1943, she goes into her first battle. The Fighting Girlfriend was the first tank to breach enemy lines, destroyed artillery, and generally, quote, wreaked havoc on the Germans. She is out for blood. Like, she was over it. I cannot believe that you found the first lady tank driver. That's the funniest. That's how I look up so many of my people. It's just like, I think of just like some crazy job. And I'm like, who was the first woman to do this? Yes. And like, yes. Tank driver will have me beat for the rest of time. Just (laughs) you wait, Taylor. It gets better. Uh, So she's like every, every source is like, she was crazy good at maneuvering this thing. And so she's just like all over them. She's destroying shit. She's doing great. Well, during the battle, her tank was damaged. So all of the orders that she got were like, sit still, stay there, don't do anything, 
you're basically like defended. You're fine. Like, you know, I bet she was like, cool, cool, cool. I'm definitely going to do all of that. Yeah. She was like <laughs> big middle finger birds to everybody. Against order, she got out of her tank and while taking heavy gunfire, repaired it and then jumped back in. What? So she gets promoted to sergeant. They're like, oh, dang. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we may have misunderstood. Oh, I guess you're not like, fucking around. Furious. <laughs> yes. How do you know how tall she was? I don't. Because I'm imagining I'm, very small. I'm picturing like a tiny Broadwick, you yeah. know, like a I'm, little teeny I'm picturing the angry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, I love it. Okay. Obviously the men changed their minds. Yeah. And it became that the battalion commander would use her as an example and would tell everybody else to quote, fight as the tankers of the fighting girlfriend fight. <sighs> wow. So, wow. So satisfying. <laughs> So one month later, she's back in battle. This time, a German shell exploded, again, damaging the fighting girlfriend. She and a crewman hop out and make the repairs while the other Soviet fighters are giving cover fire. Also, though, like, like you're surrounded by artillery that can damage a tank. <laughs> and she's like, hold on. Yeah. Gonna pop my... Hops My out. human body outside yeah. where fucking tanks are. Okay. Yeah. And every battle she's showing like extreme skill in driving a tank. And it's almost like, wow, maybe if you trained all of your tank drivers for a few months, then maybe it's fine. So it is said that she wrote a letter to her sister explaining, quote, I've had my baptism by fire. I beat the bastards. Sometimes I'm so angry I can't even breathe. Just, oh, man. Just rage. In that lady scene. needed therapy and found tanks instead. And she found big old tanks. <laughs> big fucking tanks. Big old tanks. Two months later, January 1944, Maria okay. and the fighting girlfriend take part in another night attack. Again, the tank is hit. I think this time it was the tracks. Of, you know, because before it was the like the like rotating gun part of it. Great question. Maybe. Okay. Great question. It doesn't matter. I could <laughs> not tell you. It just said tank was damaged. Huge question okay. marks all the way around. Yeah. Can I? Can what? We're in a natural pause. Can I talk about tanks for a second and how they confuse me a lot? You bet. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> they confuse me so much. So like. So, like, we were watching Red Dawn, and it takes place in, like, Colorado, right? So, the, we were talking the about or the, remake? the only Red Dawn. We don't talk about the remake in this home. Great, great, carry on. Um, they, which, it's super weird. I haven't seen it since I was, like, a teenager, and mm -hmm. we were showing it to Dirks, who had never seen it. And it's, have you seen it recently, the original one? Not, not recently, no. It is such blatant american propaganda it is hilarious I, like it's is it is so hilarious to watch <laughs> dirks was like this is such a weird tone for a movie we were like yeah it's because it's a propaganda film dirks like it's got a propaganda tone to it that's the whole thing anyway it takes place in colorado and they're fucking rolling in with tanks right and i said 
I said, man, how weird is that? Because that means that, because it was like, it's like Cuba and Russia that are invading in the first one because it took place in the 80s. So, of course. So, I was like, how crazy is that, that they drove tanks, like, either through, like, Florida and shit to get to Colorado, or they drove them through, like, Colorado, or, like, through, like, California and, like, came from that coast. And Evan and Hunter both were like, I, I mean, I don't think they got there by boats and then drove them across the country to Colorado to invade the small town. And I was like, how else would they get a tank there? And they were like, but they would fly it in and then they would like, they would like drop it there. And I was like, I'm sorry. What do you mean they'll fly it in? And they were like, yeah, that's how, like, they, you just like, they like, just, did you know this about tank movements? I super assumed they would fly it in. It never even occurred to me that that was capable, nor did I know that there it's turning out that maybe I just don't know a lot about warfare because. Well, remember, um, <laughs> remember when that one like passenger airline flew a space shuttle on its back and everybody was like, I call BS on the 50 pound bag limit. Do you remember this? I don't remember this. It was like 10 years ago and it was one of the funniest memes I've ever seen because it was literally a passenger airline and there was a fucking space shuttle on the back of it. It was huge. And everybody was like, here's the huh. thing though. 50 pound bag limit i feel like you're lying to me I feel like it's fine but like i think planes can carry a lot more than we give them credit for i mean i guess i just and i feel like i've seen and granted this is film and tv <laughs> and not at all real life right but i think there's a way that you can get like three helicopters or four helicopters oh and just like to like all of them like move. the claw like a claw yes like the claw machine um Huh. If you're listening and you know about warfare and how to move tanks, if you have special tank yourself. knowledge, um, don't tell Reagan about it, but I would love to know. <laughs> um, sorry to 100% derail your amazing story. I just not at all, not at all. It was a great question, and I genuinely always very no confused idea. I just made shit up. So great. Okay, I I'll take it. All right. <clears throat> Where are we? 1944. We're in 1944, January. Yeah. The tracks of her thing got damaged. Yes. Night attack. Night attack. Right. A night attack. Fighting girlfriend. Okay. Tracks are damaged. Again, they order her to stay inside. She's like, you bet. Jumps out and starts repairing it. Again, crazy gunfire coming down on her. She manages to not get hit by a bullet. But oh, no. she was hit by some flying shrapnel, and it went through her eye into her brain. So she immediately falls into a coma. That they, doesn't kill her? It did not kill her. What? Yes. Wow. Yes. So they transfer her to a field hospital near Kiev, and she stayed in a coma for two months, and then she died March 15th, 1944. She was 38 years old. Wow. Isn't that insane? During the course of the war, the fighting girlfriend was destroyed three times, and they kept replacing it with a tank of the same make and model and naming it the same thing because it was such like a beacon of let's go kick some ass. Yeah. 
Um, she was posthumously named a hero of the Soviet Union, which is the highest civilian honor, or not civilian honor, but the highest honor they could get. And she was the first female tank driver to receive that honor. That's incredible. Isn't that crazy? It's super short, but that is the story that we know of, of Maria Oktyabrskaya. Wow. Crazy, right? Excellent work. So fascinating. Congrats on finding a fascinating lady. Yeah. Everything that I read, I was like, this is going to be a 10-minute story, and I don't care because this is incredible. We need to talk about it. Those are so funny to me because I feel like all of the ones that we warn each other about, like, hey, this one's really short. Like, it's going to be really, really quick. We end up being 100% obsessed with them, and we talk yep. about it for the length of a normal. Because they're how it's how could you uh, how could you talk about anything other than a Russian tank driver? Yes. Ukrainian. Um, Ukrainian. She was, she was yes. Okay. She fought for Russia, but she was. Born. I guess it's also when it was still like the Soviet Union, so it was all like. Kinda, it was um. Wow. Dang. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. Just dang. Um, to very quickly source our shit. Uh, Wikipedia, all that's interesting, the vintage news, and medium. I love all that's interesting. It's such a good time. I could spend hours and hours and hours just mm-hmm. going through all that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. it's all interesting. They are correct in naming it that, yes. Really, it's a really apt they name. They really nailed it. Wow. Yeah, man. So there's that. Pretty cool, right? Very cool. Very, very, so, very cool. Uh, do you have a a babe who uh, inspired you this week? Um. Well, I've got a couple. Um. So first, I think my first one needs to be lovely Dylan Covey, because he came and stayed with us. <laughs> And it was so great. I mean, he also came up and like stayed with his family and whatever, but like he stayed with us and like we miss him lots. Was very nice. Yeah, it was very nice. So um, he got to pet Tiny Cat for the first time. Incredible. Um, Highlight of his life, I'm sure. Yeah, we had a whole baking day, which was very nice. <laughs> um, so and then and then we went for we walked Kincaid. It was just, it was just great. Just great. Precious. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that Dylan is, is my main one. And then a little side shout out slash update. I think me, because I finally had a therapy appointment. You did. I did. I did it. And it was very scary. Um, it's, it's scary to start for sure. It was very scary, and I realized that, like, I realized, like, when I was leaving, that my entire body language the entire time was just, like, a pretzel. Like, my legs were crossed, my arms were crossed, and I was, like, up here, and, like, just... I betcha they're used to it. A pretzel. Um, But she seems lovely. I mean, I don't really, like, know her yet, but she seems very nice. She laughed at my jokes, which was nice. Um, But I bet they laugh at everybody's jokes. I don't know. But also maybe not. I definitely like the more I got to know my therapist and when she laughs at something I say, I just like, you think I'm funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. I was like, mm. it's nice. Um, yeah. So 
it was cool and weird and scary and I'm really, fine. really proud of you. But thanks. Me too, I guess. So I have another one next week and we'll see. But nice. Um, who's yours? Um, mine is also my therapist. Yeah. I have two sessions left with her and then she graduates. And I am heartbroken and so excited for her. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm scared to find a new one because I, I love her so much. And I know it'll be good and I know it'll be like a great experience for me and I'll get another perspective and it'll all be really great. Mm-hmm. But like, I love her so much and I'm really, really going to miss her. And I apparently, she was able to tell me now that like our sessions are coming to a close, she was able to tell me like a little bit about herself and she's just a fascinating human being. And I am obsessed with her story. Um, but she was like, you're not, you know, my first client or my only client by any means, but you're the client that I've seen the longest. And she was like, I'm really going to miss you. And I was like, no. Um, But I did give permission that if I ever see her out in the wild, I am allowed to hug her. So Mm. good news. Yeah. Huge win for the Reagan. (laughs) Huge win. Yeah. So I'm, it's hard to like knowing that I only have two sessions left it's hard to talk to her about other things. Yeah. And not just focus on how I'm anxious about getting a new therapist and I'm going to miss her. And like, yeah, I don't really know what to do. And it makes me think like people who are with the same therapist for years, like I've been seeing her consistently for a year and a half but overall with weird, you know, breaks or whatever for two years. And it's insane to me that someone could see someone for like five, 10 years and then have to find a new therapist. Yeah. Like I am terrified to go into a new session and be like, so I'm Reagan. (laughs) Yeah. And also part of me is going to want to walk in and be like, here's my baggage and here's what I know. And I hold issues with this and I blame people for this and I blame myself for everything. And, you know, just walk in with like everything I've learned and learned is a hard air quotes, by the by, for everybody (laughs) listening. And just be like, here are my issues. Now you're caught up. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be weird, but. I love Ling, and I'm going to miss her, and she's great. That's a really good one. Thanks. Um, dang. Right? Welcome back. Did it again. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I will talk to you in a very long time. Goodbye from Babe Town. <laughs> what I would like to say is our formal farewell farewell time to Mm. you okay I'm gonna hang up and call you in a week (laughs) (laughs) 
sounds great. Bye. Talk to okay. you next week. Bye. Bye.